This is episode number 81 with Terry Cole. The Melissa Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Terry Cole is a New York-based licensed psychotherapist, relationship expert, and founder of The Real Love Revolution and Boundary Bootcamp. For two decades, Terry has worked with some of the world's most well-known personalities, from international pop stars, athletes, TV personalities, through to thought leaders, Fortune 500 CEOs, and more. She empowers over 100,000 women weekly through her platform and online community. Terry's strategies combine practical psychology, Eastern mindfulness practices, plus harnessing the power of intention to create positive, sustainable change, i.e. true transformation. And in today's episode, we chat about how she got to where she is today and how she became a self-love ambassador, how and why she created the self-love revolution, why we need to let go of anger and resentment, the truth about boundaries and how we can set them, the simple yet powerful phrase that will change all of your relationships, why you need to know your deal breakers when setting your boundaries, the difference between deal breakers and preferences, why awareness is key to setting boundaries, how to assert your new healthy boundaries, what happens if we don't assert our boundaries, why we want to adopt the concept of hello goodbye, the power of not going to the auto yes, boundaries and blended families, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 83. And before we dive into today's podcast, I want to read the review of the week and that is from Bianca Zara who says, Melissa, this is all amazing. I have spent the last two weeks listening to all of your podcasts. You have inspired me to live the best life I can while being the best version of myself. Love and light to you. Thank you so much, Angel. I am just so grateful, Bianca. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your kind words. And I'm so glad that you got a lot out of all of these episodes. And if you want to be the review of the week, make sure you leave a review in iTunes. And now, without further ado, let's bring on the goddess that is Terry Cole. Terry, welcome. It's so great to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? A banana and lots of coffee. 
Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show, but can you tell us how did you get to where you are today? How did you become this ambassador for self-love? I grew up in a home where I felt incredibly valued by my mother. And so that had a lot to do with everything that I've done in my life, feeling really unconditionally loved as a kid really, you know, set the trajectory for my life. But I still struggled as everyone does in their teens, in my 20s, and even into my 30s. So I've had a ton of therapy and that made me know which direction I wanted to go in. And although I had different careers before I became a psychotherapist and um, a love expert, right? I knew that I wanted to go this way from the experiences that I had. So it isn't that I came from not having self-love necessarily. It's that I came into a situation where I realized how incredibly important self-love is to create any other good love in your life, whether it's sibling, friendship, romantic, you know? Absolutely. And in your amazing self-love revolution, like how did you create that and what was the intention behind that? Well, it's really the real love revolution because for me, so much of the What people were looking for, what my clients were looking for, and I've been a psychotherapist in New York and LA and internationally for the past 20 years. My demographic is super high-functioning women who are really successful and who could figure out any system, could negotiate any system, could solve any problem, and yet they didn't have satisfying romantic love in their lives. And as I dug deeper with these women, I realized what needed to happen for that to happen, that were socialized as women, certainly in the US for sure. What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be a woman? It means to be very self-sacrificing. It means to put other people's needs above your own. You know, we are the bridgers and the caregivers for everyone, basically. And in that process over the many, I feel like millennial that it's been happening, we forgot how to take care of ourselves. And what ends up happening, and I was seeing a lot of the end result of people who felt like they were very loving people for other people in their lives, but because they were so high functioning and doing so much on their own and not allowing others to really add value, that they ended up bitter and angry and feeling very resentful, which is the exact opposite of how they want to feel. Mm, And what does that anger and bitterness and resentment do to us over time? It surely does not help your relationships. It turns you into a martyr, which, you know, right now people would think like, no, no, I'm not a martyr. But the truth is, if you are resentful of the things that you have voluntarily done for other people, if you feel like you're always sort of getting the short end of the stick in your relationship because you can't tolerate anyone else suffering or anyone else not having what they quote unquote need, and you're so efficient and effective that you know that you can do it for them or get it done, whatever it is, in the end, you do end up angry and bitter and it makes people not want to be around you. And it's just a terrible place to be because people end up there unintentionally. Mm. In my second book, Open Wide, I talk a lot about setting healthy boundaries because I believe it's so important. And I know you have your boundary boot camp, But from your perspective, why do we need to set these healthy boundaries and how can we do this? Well, let's start with some myths around boundary drawing. 
I find that in my practice and in the groups that I run, women have a tendency to think that drawing boundaries means you're being mean. It's being bitter. It's being angry. It's being selfish. It's not being loving. And the truth about boundaries is that it's the exact opposite of that. When you let someone know what your limits are or what your preference is, even, you're doing them a service, right? You're giving them a chance to step up for you. Maybe they will and maybe they won't. But making them guess what those things are is really not loving. It's this illusion. We get very sucked into wanting to be perceived as being nice. And in fact, being nice has become this virtue, quote unquote, that is valued above almost all others. But it isn't really being nice. What ends up happening is that women end up with a disease to please, right? Where you prioritize everyone else's needs above your own, say yes when you really want to say no, apologize often when you're not sorry and when you're angry, um, and avoid a confrontation at all costs. Those are the four indications of having the disease to please. And what ends up happening is we want to think about ourselves, like our self-image. We want to be considered a nice person. But is it nice to say yes when you really want to say no? Like in real life, do we think that's nice? It's not. If we were being really bold about it, we'd say that's just simply being dishonest. And what it's really doing is setting your relationships up to fail and setting your sibling relationships and friendships up to have a lot of conflict. So that's that's the why we need them. Brene Brown has a really beautiful, super simple definition of boundaries. Letting people know what is okay with you and what is not okay with you. That's it. Now, of course, you know, boundaries, if we're talking the entirety of boundaries, is way more involved than that. But on the most basic level, that's what it is. And a lot of times we will communicate indirectly. So we will imply what we would like. We will hint at something. We will act angry if the person isn't picking up on our nonverbal cues. And how 1958 is that? And it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. I know. I know. I've been there. I've tried it. And then it builds the resentment and anger within ourselves because we're like, well, why can't you just read my mind? And why don't you understand? And this is why I dove really deep into setting healthy boundaries in all areas of your life in my book. And I hear it so much, and I'm sure you do too with your clients and your tribe. They say to me, how do I set healthy boundaries? How do I do it? So what advice would you have for those people? The first thing that has to happen is you have to be aware of where your boundaries are being violated because you're not talking about them, because you're not making the simple request, because you're not informing someone that something is not okay with you. So in the Boundary Bootcamp course that I teach, the first one of the first exercises we do is these huge okay and not okay lists in all areas of life, down to the smallest thing. Like, is the way that your space, your environment that you live in, is it okay with you? Or is it not okay with you? Because women so much of the time have been, I don't know, its we've been habitually taught to sort of put our needs and desires at the bottom of the list. And so, so many of the women who take my courses or come to me for the boundary help don't even know what their preferences are. So the first thing is awareness. You have to be aware and you have to be willing to not be in any kind of a victim mentality because it's not about other people. It really is about you. 
what are you communicating? When you make a simple request to someone, we have different kinds of boundaries. Some boundaries are more like preferences, right? We would like things a certain way. Doesn't mean that every one of those is a deal breaker. So I I make people get into a list of, we have a whole process that we go through to get into a list of like, what are your deal breakers in your relationships, in your friendships, in your whatever it is? Because so awareness is step one. So for those of you, you people listening, you want to make changes before you can change anything. Because how do I draw boundaries is way too broad a stroke, right? You have to have the awareness of where do you feel like you need boundaries? And you start looking at your friendships, your romantic relationships, your family of origin, your work relationships, and start making lists. Where is it that I feel like this person is trampling over me? And I'm not saying anything. And you may have people listening who do say something, right? We, we call these boundary repeat offenders, right? People who are really tough, they want their way too. So you say no, and they come back and try to convince you to change your mind about whatever it is. So, you know, when we have different strategies, proactive boundary success plans, I call them, because you really have to prepare yourself because you will not be able to do it in the moment. If you have never done it in the moment, and if you have no good model of behavior to do it in the moment. So in the beginning, we're always sort of backtracking a little bit and saying, oh, hey, you know, Bob, uh, last Wednesday when we had that conversation, I was thinking about it and I wanted to come back to you and tell you that I really didn't like whatever it is. So people feel like it's too late. I can't talk about something that's in the past. Of course you can. It's it's perfectly fine. You don't want to do that forever, right? When you actually get a skill set. You're able to do it in the moment, but that requires new neural pathways in your brain, learning a new language, drawing boundaries effectively, efficiently, and with ease, grace, and love when it's appropriate. That is an actual skill set. That should be something that we're teaching people in school. You know what I mean? Mm, Totally. I absolutely agree. I wish, you know, I was taught this. And it is a new neural pathway. And the more you practice it, the better you're going to get at it. You know, I've noticed even over the past couple of years within my evolution of my marriage, I am getting quicker and quicker at asserting my boundaries in the moment, where in the past, like you said, you know, I might say it a few days later or go, hey, you know how we did that? And you said that, you know, and I communicate then, but I'm getting better and better at communicating it in the moment. So I love that you said that. It's something that we need to practice. Before we go on to the next question I have for you, can you give some examples of deal breakers for people? Because this is something that comes up a lot with my tribe. When they're setting these healthy boundaries, they get a little bit confused about, okay, well, what's a deal breaker and what's a preference? So can you give us a couple of examples? Yes. And if I may, before I do that, I want to give, so we talked about um, awareness being step one, but for those of you who are really, really wanting to try this on and use this as a tool, I'm going to give you a really simple phrase that you can use when you are drawing a boundary, which is just to say, I'd like to make a simple request. So easy. So easy. And, and the truth is, right, you know this, Melissa, like, any request actually is simple. Perhaps the person fulfilling it, it may not be simple for them and they may not do it, but every request can be simple. And the less drama 
and charge that we have attached to drawing boundaries, the easier it is. And there's all this work that I do with people about embodying their own desires around what it is that they want, right? Getting used to it, practicing it, doing it in the mirror before you go into your boss or someone that you work with and say, oh, hey, I'd like to make a simple request, Bob, that you stop coming 15 minutes late to the meeting because it requires me to do more work and then I have to make notes for you and I would really appreciate you being on time. Can we agree that you will be on time? And the truth is, especially for those of you guys listening, is that once you start this process, it's your fear mind and it's the little kid within you because we all have these what I call downloaded blueprints around everything, around love, around intimacy, around marriage, around money, around health and wellness, and we also have them around boundaries. And so we were taught and indoctrinated basically at a very young age to behave a particular way around trying to get our needs met. And so if you came from a family where passive aggressive action was the way that your mother tried to get her needs met, that's what you learned. And so none of this is about shame or there's nothing wrong with you that you're like, why don't I already know this? I have, you know, two PhDs, but I can't figure out this boundary thing or this love thing because they're very much connected. This is something that how could you know it if nobody taught it to you? It's like, you know, praying to be fluent in Mandarin, like you're not going to be, but you can learn Mandarin just like you can learn the language of boundaries. So I wanted to just give that little tidbit that phrase is very easy. I have people who years later are still saying, I still use the simple request line all the time. And it works like a charm because it doesn't get people's back up. Mm. I usually say to my husband, and I'm going to change it to this phrase, I'm going to experiment with it, but I say, can I make a suggestion or can I make a request? I love this phrase that you've offered us. It's just so simple and powerful and straight to the point. Love it. Okay. So then what was the next thing we were doing? So giving us some examples of deal breakers for people just so they can get their head around it. Well, this is a very personal and intimate thing, right? You have to know what your deal breakers are. But again, your deal breakers and the behavior that you do and don't allow in your life, what is okay and not okay with you, is something that you learned from modeled behavior. And even if your parents had like a very violent marriage, let's say, and you swore to God you were never going to have that in your life, if you don't have some kind of intervention that teaches you how to not repeat that, because as humans, this is our default position psychologically. Freud talked about you know repetition compulsion, meaning that we are compelled to repeat traumatic and dramatic and other, I've discovered many other things as well. So your wish to not repeat something is not enough. You need to learn how to not repeat it. So again, so many of the women who were in my Boundary Boot class and in my Real Love Revolution courses, so many of them said, I didn't even know that I was allowed to say that that wasn't acceptable to me. Like I didn't even know that that was on the table, that I could call that a deal breaker because they had had that in their early life. And so they thought that, you know, I guess pain and love, when they get intertwined at an early age, it takes intention and time and psychological skill to have them not be interwoven any longer. 
So it's the same thing with, you know, love and violence or love and verbal abuse or love and someone, you know, passively aggressively torturing you or you passively aggressively torturing them. These are all things that they don't have to go together with healthy, vibrant, flexible love. And they usually don't go with healthy, vibrant, flexible, long-lasting love because those things have a shelf life, usually. Actually, though, my in-laws were married for, I mean, God rest their souls, they're both deceased, but they were married for like 65 years and truly hated each other's guts and just tortured each other passively, aggressively, and straight up aggressively for all of that time. So maybe I'm wrong on the fact that it won't last, but you won't be happy. So I, I preface the answer with that because each person is very different and unique. For, from where I sit, physical violence is a deal breaker. Verbal abuse is a deal breaker. That includes name calling, eye rolling, being sarcastic, being really aggressive, hostility. You know, these are, for me, they're safety things, right? Having these things in your life, in your intimate relationship are really dangerous for your mental health, for your self esteem, but also it could be dangerous for your physical health as well. So let's say those are the top ones. Like, what is unacceptable? Somebody being a raging addict to me. That's a deal breaker. Some other people, if you, you know, if you are codependently attached to an addict, you may not want to break that deal, but there certainly are things that you can do to set boundaries so that you are not tortured in that situation because it's just, I mean, I've done it. It's just torturous. Loving an addict is just so painful. Um, I heard, side note, I heard this saying years ago that said, um, alcoholics don't have relationships, they take hostages. And I was like, yeah, that is so true. Because when the person is them norm, their normal self, you love them. And then they get drunk or high or whatever it is, and they become someone who is not who you know them to be. So those are some of my deal breakers. Let's talk about preferences. And so we can see there's a difference. And then you guys listening, then you fill the things in in between. For me, I, I couldn't be with someone who was lazy. That's a deal breaker. I'm not interested in that person. I need someone who's motivated, inspired. Curious, always learning. I needed someone who is successful in their own right so that they have their own thing and I have my own thing. And then together, I'm happy to be in the front row of my husband's thing. Yippee. I love to cheer him on, but I couldn't have it. I'd been in relationships where I had my thing and that person thought that I was their thing. And that's just too much pressure and not interesting. But those are personal deal breakers, right? Where it was just, I wouldn't be in a relationship with someone or I was and it didn't last. The smaller things, when we're talking about preferences, maybe you like to go to bed early. And what if your partner is a night owl and doesn't go to bed until three in the morning? Those are things that can become really big deals in relationships. So is that a deal breaker? Listen, nothing's a deal breaker. If you haven't drawn a boundary, had a conversation and tried to work it out. Now, physical abuse, I haven't had this experience in my life. I don't know how that isn't a deal breaker. I just feel like that's always a deal breaker. It, it really has to be. The addiction thing, maybe someone can get help. Maybe they can get into recovery. I've seen it happen. You know, so again, it's personal. Preferences are, I would prefer that you not wait four hours to text me back unless there's a reason you can't. That's my preference for my husband. Like, it would be great. Even if you can't talk now, please let me know that. I am on a need to know basis, but that's my personality. Other people may be more mellow and it may be fine. So you see what I mean, me, Melissa? It's like very much about 
how you want to be treated in your life, the way that you treat the other person, and the things that you value. Somebody making fun of something that is important to me, I don't like that. That's more than a preference for me personally, um, or not valuing and respecting my work and what I do, right? Lack of respect just for me is a total deal breaker. Can't do it. Just don't want to. And lots of people do. And again, modeled behavior. But you guys who are listening really think about, you know, in a perfect world, how would you interact? How much communication would you have? How much sex would you have? Um, How would you handle your money together? Because these are all things that become major problems in relationships if they're never talked about, if there are no boundaries drawn, if we don't have a mutual understanding of what we're going to do in those things. I always counsel, I don't, I don't do couples work anymore, but I did back in the day. And I created something called a couple's vision that I have clients do annually where you sit down and say, Hey, wh- what are we spending our money on this year? How much do we want to save? Where do, where are we spending our time? Are we going to travel? What's important to you? You know, so you have a vision that is a shared vision that you create together so that you know that you're on the same page. Don't, don't leave it to chance that you're on the same page. And then I have clients do, it's called state of the union every other week where you have one meal where you talk about things that have gone on. And this is a way to normalize conflict resolution. So you know, in the state of the union, it's open because you've agreed upon it. That if there's something that was a problem and that we didn't resolve it in the moment, that this is the place that we're going to do it. I'd like to make a simple request that you don't interrupt me when we were at that dinner party and I was telling them the story. You interrupted me and it really, really deflates me and makes me feel bad, right? That would be something that in the state of the union, you would be able to communicate to your partner and hopefully they'd be able to say, I'm really sorry. I'll be more mindful. Thank you for telling me, right? That's like a state of the union conversation. It's not people getting defensive. It's not people saying, but you always, right? There's certain things that are not allowed in the state of the union, and those are some of them. So it really comes down to what I call practicing crystal clear communication. Because when you have that within your partnership, you can open that dialogue and speak from your heart and say, hey, you know, when we're at the party, and you interrupted me, I felt like this. And it really does come back to feeling safe and feeling like you can openly and honestly practice crystal clear communication, which is communication from your heart space. So I love, I love all of this so much. There's so many great tools in here for everyone. And I just, you know, it doesn't just apply to our romantic relationship. This applies to all of our relationships. So How can we assert our new boundaries, especially with those around us, without offending anyone or coming into contact with boundary bullies? Hmm. Well, you can't. So that can't be the goal because there are boundary bullies everywhere. And you have to understand the process of change. So human relationships, no matter whether it's you and your sister or you and your lover, they're a dance. So when you decide that you're going to change the steps to the dance, that person is going to have feelings about it. They're going to do what um, one of my heroes, her name is Dr. Harriet Lerner. um, She wrote a whole bunch of books called The Dance of Deception, The Dance of Anger, The Dance of Intimacy. She's so wonderful and brilliant and has profoundly impacted my work. I love her. 
She's the one who came up with the, the dance analogy. And she talks about that when you do that, the, the other person will do what she names a change back move. So if you draw a boundary with your mother and she doesn't like it, then she may now ratchet it up, like become hysterical about something or say that you don't love her because you're doing this or say you're being disrespectful because you're doing this. But when you really learn how to be a boundary ninja, you know you're not being disrespectful. You know you're not being unloving. You know that drawing boundaries is indeed the most loving thing that you can do. And you have to go through this process. There's a whole different stages of the process when we have these new boundaries. It doesn't happen overnight. Usually it takes at least a year of consistency. You must be willing, the same way that when we're raising children, we don't tell them to say please and thank you once, do we? No. We say it a thousand times a day or more every time they ask for something. If they don't say it, I always would say, how would you ask for that? <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. Always. This is the same thing. So instead of being frustrated or offended yourself, you can't be really tender yourself. Like, well, I told them, I said it once. It was so hard. Like, I'm never saying it again. Why can't they just get it? That's not the way it changes. People feel threatened by you changing. They love you. They, unconsciously, their fear of mind is telling them that you're changing and maybe you're going to leave them. Maybe now they don't want to be with you. Like these are all un so many unconscious processes that they're not trying to sabotage it. Most people just, we are very change averse. We just don't like it. We like what is predictable and what we know. And when things change, our fear mind gets activated and we feel threatened. So you have to understand that when you're drawing a boundary with your partner, or with your sister, or with your mom, whoever it is, that try to come from a compassionate and loving place and know that it's your job to stand your ground with ease, grace, and love if it's appropriate. So the first phase is that you'll find that people are pissed. They're trying to make you change back. They're like, you're changing. I don't like it. You never used to be like this. La, 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 whatever they're going to say. And you stand your ground. There's lots of language that I teach people. How do you stand your ground? I'm sorry you feel that way. This boundary is important to me. It absolutely is no reflection of how much I love you, and I really need you to respect it. That is my simple request. It really matters to me, and I appreciate it. So you just, you come up with like 10 different things that you just keep saying. Some people are more adaptive and less threatened by your change, and so you may not have to do that with everyone, but certainly family of origin, man, that's the hardest one. And long-term love relationships are really hard because those people are definitely going to feel threatened. But you got to do it anyway, because no one can do it for you. And to be healthy in your life, to actually become illuminated about who you really are and do your good works in the world or whatever it is that your heart's desire is, you can't be defending your weak boundaries or getting sucked into these triangles with people or all the things that happen when you have crappy boundaries. And it's not just weak boundaries. People have boundaries that are too rigid as well. And so there are people who are more like loners and don't want to risk, you know, being um, vulnerable, right? Because this is what's required of us to even speak our boundaries. We are brave ballers because you're basically being vulnerable. And yet nothing, you know, what does Brene Brown also talk about with wholehearted people? That in her research, the people, the happiest people 
are the wholehearted people, and those also are the people with the best, most, as you said, Melissa, crystal clear boundaries. You said it about communication, but crystal clear boundaries requires crystal clear communication. And if we don't assert these healthy boundaries, what happens? We are a people pleaser. We build resentment and anger and frustration within. What else happens if we if we don't start to assert these healthy boundaries? Well, you never truly honor your most authentic self. You never fully embody who you are, right? You never allow someone to know you authentically. And how can anyone authentically love you if you never allow them to authentically know you? It's so true. Can you talk to us now about the concept of hello, goodbye? I love this and I would love for you to share it with the tribe. Yes, the hello, goodbye speed course, which is something that I created and that is in the Boundary Bootcamp course. It is a way of not getting stuck in conversations that you don't want to have. What happens when we're afraid to allow the pregnant pause? Let's just say, just allow it. No reason to fill it. When we're afraid to allow it, we end up agreeing to stuff we don't want to do. We end up making plans with people we don't even like, you know? So the, the Hello Goodbye Speed course came out of so many of my clients and the women in my tribe just saying, I'm so exhausted because I let the cab driver talk to me for 20 minutes and like I didn't want to, or I had a terrible massage because the massage therapist was telling me their life story and I wanted to like shoot myself because I wanted to just not talk. So I have all of these different strategies that people can do. Let's just say you're in a restaurant and you're, or you're on the buffet line in a restaurant um, and you see someone you know, you talk to them briefly there and then immediately say, oh, my food's getting cold, I'm going to go sit or whatever. Th- that's one way of getting out of that. If you see someone in the supermarket, especially someone who you know is a yacker or a complainer, a real negative person that you just, or maybe you just don't feel like talking. I always say you get, re- get really clear with your physical body. You keep walking. When I'm around someone I don't want to talk to, I don't stop, even if they stop. You know what I mean? I, I, I lead by walking quickly and saying, oh, hey, I'm actually late for a meeting. Great to see you. I hope you enjoy this beautiful day. And I just keep walking. It, my whole thing is about you be the leader in your life, right? This is like when we're in a, a movie, right? Why just be the star of the movie, let's say? You need to be the director, the producer, and the writer of the script. It's your life. So if you find yourself waiting around to like read the room, read the person you don't want to talk to, no reading. I'm always dictating what is going on in my life. And I'm an empath, so I'm also always, you know, I can read people's feelings, emotions. I get all of that. And listen, I don't do this, right? If if it's people I trust and have a deep relationship with, but I'm saying out in the world, I mean, I'm in New York City, I know a million people. I don't always want to talk to people. And I also don't want to feel like my time and energy is hijacked because I don't know how to say hello and goodbye. Mm, I love this concept. And it's something that I have organically stepped more and more into the older I have got. You know, it's something that I'm now really proud of that I do. And if something doesn't feel true for me, I just don't do it. And you know, even if it's an invite to something, and I used to feel really guilty 
coming back to the people-pleasing thing, I used to feel really guilty like if I said no to an invite or said no to a speaking gig. But now I tune in and I ask myself, is this a hell yeah? And if it's not a hell yeah, it's a no thank you. I am really embracing getting on the no train right now and just saying no thank you to so many things that aren't an absolute full body hell freaking yeah. It's like the boundary stuff. It's an art. It's a muscle that we need to practice. And the more we practice it, the easier it gets. And it's like, you know, you eventually you let go of the guilt and you just, you know that you're saying yes to yourself when you say no thank you. And I'm the same as you, Terry. Like, if I'm, you know, on a mission and I'm out and I don't feel like talking to someone, I, I will just say, hey, how are you? And I'll hope you have a beautiful day and I'll keep walking as well. We don't have to feel guilty about it. You know, it's, we're saying yes to ourselves. So I really love that you brought that up. And I love this concept of hello and goodbye. And I just want to encourage everyone to start to employ that in their life and only do things that are an absolute hell freaking yeah, full body hell yeah. And if it's not, it's a no thank you. You don't have to be rude about it. You know, you can just say, no, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not free then. Or, you know, I, I don't want to do that. But thank you so much for the invitation. Yes. What is difficult about this, though, for people who have had the disease to please all of their lives is that, again, it's hard to know where to draw the boundary. So I came up with all these things that you could say if, you know, the person asks you to be the parent teacher association president again and you don't want to is to, you know, there's like four or five things that you can say. And you don't have to say in that circumstance, especially if your kid is going to that school, you don't have to say like, oh, hey, I just don't want to. You can say, I've really enjoyed my time doing it. I will not be able to do it this year as I'm committing more time to to my family. The real revolutionary realization for many people is that you don't have to do everything. It's not just about, you know, you're saying if it's not a hell yes, then then it's a no thank you, which I completely agree with. But you have to take a moment and allow yourself to decide what that is. And so I have something I have clients say to people, which is, um, you know what? I'll get back to you within the next two days about that. I've instilled a rule. I'm making no on the spot decisions. So, or I want to confer with Vic and see what our schedule is like. But the real thing that I, that is most important is that you stop the auto yes. That is the most important thing because once you say yes, now you feel you're committed. You feel like you're angry, you're, you know what I mean? Which you don't want to do. I love that. And I am definitely guilty of doing the auto, yes, especially in my early days of my career. Speaking invitations would come into my inbox and opportunities would come into my inbox and podcast interviews and all of these amazing things. And I would be like, yes, 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 yes. And so excited. And then when I really tuned in, I was like, well, I actually, don't want to do that. And it's not true for me. So what I do now is I let something land in my inbox and I try not to do the auto. Yes. Like you said, but I take deep breaths and I allow myself to take three really deep breaths. And then I tune in and I ask myself, you know, is this true for me? And it's gotten me out of reactive mode, you know, like just going, yes, 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 I want to do everything. And all of the things are so exciting. And it's allowed me to come back into my body and tune back in with my true self and then answer from there. So I love, I love that. I love that. And I really want everyone to 
think about the auto yes thing. And it's very easy as well when you're walking down the street and you see someone and you're like, come over for a barbecue on a Saturday. And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, well, actually, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to chill at home with the kids, you know? So I really love that. So thank you for mentioning that. One thing I want to say, though, about this, Melissa, is that the more you know yourself, the more you understand why you are the way you are. And that's why for me, and listen, I'm a psychotherapist, so of course a deep dive is my nature. It's what I'm interested in doing with people. And you don't always have to do a deep dive. But if you struggle with the auto, yes, you struggle with that for a reason. So when for me, it's it's like when I could more deeply understand what was motivating my behavior, it made it so much easier to change my behavior. Mm. That's a really beautiful, powerful point. Yeah, absolutely. Comes back to tuning in and the awareness that you spoke about before. So you also talk a lot about boundaries and addiction and boundaries and blended families and narcissists and highly sensitive people, neighbors and coworkers and frenemies. But something that I'm personally really interested in is boundaries and blended families because I didn't grow up in a blended family and neither did my husband. Both of our parents are still very happily married and in love, but we have a blended family. So I have a 12-year-old stepson and you know, I, I often like look at the situation. I'm like, well, I don't really know what it's like for him because I grew up with parents that are still together. So can you tell us about how we assert these boundaries when it comes to blended families? Because it's quite common now. And this is something that I'm personally really interested in. All right, because this is something that it can be very, very difficult. Because, you know, if you go into a family system that already exists and you are like the person coming in and either there's a divorce or someone has died, you know, you, you have to figure out how can I assert myself without trampling over other people and not being sensitive to what is already happening with them. You know, I think that the situation matters. So my husband was widowed. So his wife, his young wife died when he had a five, a three and a nine month old, sadly. And so I came in, but not for another 12 years. So they had been alone for men in a house. And so I knew that my, the way that I would go in, in my mind, I had it set that all I wanted to do was to be um, a loving other in the boy's life. Oh, it's three boys. I wanted to be a loving person in their life. They didn't need to regard me in any particular way. I wasn't, I wasn't on any trip of like, well, now I'm your mother. It was none of that stuff. I was like, I'm only 15 years older than my oldest son, you know, my stepson. And so I observed first, I saw where does help need to happen? Because they were like, there was a lot of conflict within the family system, got everyone into family therapy. That was very helpful. But boundaries are really important in blended families where you have an agreed upon set of rules of house rules, we call them. So whatever that may be, keep that mine were very, you know, clear. And, I, and trust me, it wasn't like on day two that I'm like, oh, hi, here are the house rules. I did it that we would have family meetings and people, everyone would be, would be inputting in what the rules were. Um, because, you know, they were such slobs. I was about to shoot myself. I was like, oh my God, I can't deal with these people. So keep the, the you know, common area of the house has to be clean. Anything you leave in the common area of the house, Terry has the right to just chuck it in your room, which I did. Um, and for me, that was fine. As long as I didn't have to live in the mess, I was okay. I was like, I don't care what your rooms look like. Just where we all live together needs to be clean. But again, everyone being respectful of everyone else. I was like, you know, when I first got there, they would tell each other to shut up and like stuff. But I was like, no, we're not doing that. Mm -mm. 
no shutting up, please. So those were, I had my own boundaries when I came in about behavior that was really kind of deal-breaking for me because I'm such an empath. I couldn't have a lot of super hostility. Like people had to talk, even though they were like, oh my God, you're kidding me. She has to be a psychotherapist. What a nightmare. Because, you know, these were four guys basically who had, you know, I kept being like, okay, but how do you feel? They're like, holy crap. I have no idea. Why is she talking about feelings? But, you know, eventually now I can tell you right now, they all have super high emotional IQs. I'm so proud of them. I mean, this is 20 years ago, obviously, that I met them. And then I basically absorbed them. For me, it was like the perfect situation because it was, you know, no stretch marks. And now I have six grandbabies. Like it all worked out for everybody, you know? So if you're in a blended family though, right now, it's really about looking at the dynamic that's already there and seeing what is healthy and what isn't. People screaming, slamming doors, passive aggressive stuff, not healthy. And you can't take it personally. If you're a parent coming into a blended family situation, you can't take it personally. Because you always have to be the grown up. You always have to be the adult, you know, which is hard. That really is difficult. So I think that that's the first thing is looking at how it is. How, how dysfunctional is it? Because the system I came into is very dysfunctional and lots of love. And, you know, my husband was very dutiful, but he was a bit of a yeller. And I was like, I had, I had an incident actually early on in the relationship where he, you know, screamed something at our youngest son. And I, and I say, don't be confused, people listening. I never say step because it isn't, that's not what it is for me, you know? So I say my kids because they are my kids to me. Their mom died when they were babies, you know? Um, anyway, Vic was, you know, yelling at Ben and he like cursed and I was horrified. And I ran into our bedroom and I started bawling my eyes out, which is also not really like me. I was so threatened though. I was so madly in love with this guy. And I was like, oh my God, this, I can't, this is a deal breaker and I don't want it to be because I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And this is, I'm not kidding. This was week four of the relationship. And Vic came in and he was like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And I said, you know, the way that you just talked to Ben is the way he's going to be talking to me in two years from now. You know that, right? Like it doesn't work to say to kids, do what I say and not what I do. That's not how it works. You model behavior and they will do the same exact thing. And then that's how he's going to talk to his wife and his friends. And why are you yelling at him? Why are you screaming like that? You're the grown up. What are you acting like a 15 year old for? I mean, not to be mean, but I was like so pissed. And he, I said, you know, I love you and I'm in it for the long haul, no matter how messy it gets with these kids. But if this part doesn't get fixed, I can't stay. And he was like, what do I need to do? I was like, back into therapy tomorrow. He's like, done. And you know, that, that was the end of that behavior for sure. But that was a good example of a deal breaker. <laughs> mm, thank you so much for sharing that. You said something really powerful for me personally, because in the past I have tended to take things personally, but at the end of the day, he's 12 and I'm the adult. I'm the adult here. And I have to let it go. I really do have to let things go and just be the adult and not and not take it personally. Yes, it is so important to learn how to let things go. And and the the real key though is knowing that you're the grown-up, that you are the adult and that you always have to be the adult. There's also understanding the phases of development. A 12-year-old who's basically prepubescent going into puberty, maybe already is in puberty that there's something about what they're going through. They're going to go through this phase of separating and individuating, and it's very painful for them. And it's why we always say that, you know, teenagers are impossible and, you know, they're mouthy and they're all of these things. They are. 
And especially with boys, because they have a crazy amount of testosterone just pulsating through their bodies, that you have to help them separate and individuate, whether you're a bio parent or not. And one big part of that is not taking it personally. You know, so if my youngest son, who he was kind of a pain when he was going through that phase, I mean, they all were pains when they were going through that phase. They knew everything. We didn't know anything. We were all bougie. The, like there were all the things that, you know, we were so corny, whatever, which I didn't care. I was like, great, let me be corny because I don't need to be your friend, pal, because I am a parent figure and I don't need to be your friend. So good. I'm glad you don't think I'm cool because what matters is you know that I love you and that there is nothing that you can do that will stop me from loving you. Like I will be there and I will have the hard conversation with you every time, no matter how much you hate it. And I'll still love you. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to treat you like we're friends and having a fight because we're not. And when you understand that phase of development and your part in it and what an important part you have as a parent, it really is so much easier not to take it personally when they're acting out and acting, you know, mouthy. I used to say to my youngest son, he would be like, yeah, well, all right, well, I have to go to Billy's and I need to whatever. And so and give me a ride. Like that would be something he'd say. I was like, okay, well, if you want me to do you a favor, which is what me taking you to Billy's is, since I'm not required to do it, I'm going to ask you to please back up and ask me that politely. The way that I treat you, I always treat you with respect. And I expect the same thing from you, especially if you want me to drive you to Billy's. <laughs> and he would be like, what? Whatever. I was like, Ben, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's like, all right, would you please take me to Billy's? I'm like, of course I will. No problem. Let's get in the car. <laughs> like, So, you know, it's taxing, of course, at times and tiring, but it's important that you're constantly drawing those boundaries with kids too. Like no disrespectful talk. Absolutely not. Now they could be like, have an attitude, but any actual full-on disrespect, they knew I would kill them. Like, absolutely not. You know, take no shit from anyone, just like I wouldn't in the rest of my life, just like I don't. Because you're not doing a kid a favor. When you let it slide because you're afraid of them, because you haven't worked out whatever your un, you know, figured out injuries from childhood are, you're not doing them any favors because they're looking to you to be the parent. You can't be all thin-skinned and tender and like, well, it really hurt my feelings. Like... And I'm not saying stuff they do won't hurt your feelings, but you're still always got to be the parent. You're teaching them, right? You only have a certain number of years in life where you have the honor and privilege of teaching them to be decent human beings. And so that time can't be spent about you with your unresolved injuries because you're really doing a disservice to them. I don't mean you, obviously, Melissa. I just mean in general, like you've got to do your own work so that you can be the parent, even when they say hurtful things, you know? Mm, so true. And I notice as well, like I take things a lot more personally than say Nick. And maybe it's because, I don't know, he's the masculine or maybe because he is Leo's birth father. I don't know, but it it has been brought to my attention, you know, how I do take things quite personally. And so it's something that I really want to be mindful of and aware of. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on that. And I'd love to hear now, like, what do you attribute your success to? Part of it is just never giving up. I mean, like, I'll just go forever. Like, I'll just never stop until it happens. I'm patient. I'm a planner. I mean, I'm spontaneous too, but 
I didn't expect instant success. The success that I have now, I built over many years. I mean, I've been a psychotherapist for 20 years and I've had an online presence for 10. So, you know, that's, that's a long time. And I only successfully in the past two years have really cracked the online course um, situation. And I had tried for a long time, but it wasn't my wheelhouse, you know, even though I was a business person before, I was so into the content. I was like, ugh, marketing, who wants to deal with it, you know? And of course, you know, in, in the end, you realize, well, you really have to deal with it. Just make it something, you know, just make it something that is aligned with your level of integrity and it'll be fun. You'll attract the right people. I just, I could never do what I call the shadow hustle, you know, like that bait and switch, whatever, squeeze pages. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like being a psychotherapist, I felt like I had like a, I don't know, like a higher level of like, you just can't be gross, you know, and I'm not gross. <laughs> and so I didn't want people to feel that way. Staying lit up about what I do, being gratified for like the, thou at this point, I mean, thousands and thousands of people who have said that what they learned in a course, a class, my TED talk, whatever it is, really added value to their life. It's like, I mean, I don't think that I'm the guru because I'm sure not, but I definitely am a massive catalyst for people's transformation. And I really fully believe that that is my, besides my family, besides these kids that I raised with my husband, that that is my full-on dharma in life. Like, no doubt, is empowering to really live their very best lives embodied and empowered. You're doing a beautiful job at it. It's just, yeah, I love your work and your online courses are amazing. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. But I would love to hear now, what's one thing that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Spending time with my mother. She's 80. She was diagnosed with cancer this summer. She's fine. right? And she's the best. She's the best. And I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. I spend time with her. I FaceTime her every day. She comes and sleeps over my house. We have adventures. We travel together. I mean, I have three older sisters as well, but I just feel like every moment that I get to spend with my mom, this beautiful, amazing ball of love, oh, it's just a gift. So that is really lighting me up right now. Mm, that's so beautiful. Now, I would love to hear what is one thing that you are currently working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Mm, oh, there's way more than one, but I might be able to narrow it to two. Becoming more fluent in my own finances. I've been doing it for the past five years, but I'm always building on that because that was I was always great at making money and never that great at managing it. I mean, I still have great credit. It's not that I, I ruined my life, but I want to become a, a true boss around my finances the way that I am around my mental health. That's a good one. I would love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, what book would you choose? I have to say it would be, I don't know, like it's a book that I'm creating right now. It would be a book that includes like the boundary Bible in it. You know, it would be, you know, I mean, there, there's other books that have been life altering, but the truth is what I feel like is missing in the curriculum isn't really out there. You know, they're, they're not teaching. I, I teach these, the five pillars of real love. And I honestly think that that should be a course in schools because we don't know how to do it. We don't know. We don't know the language. We don't know how to draw boundaries. 
we overfunction, we're exhausted, we don't know how to value ourselves in, you know, I mean, listen, everyone's on their path or some great book on that. Because I feel like that's what's missing is your relationship to yourself, self-knowledge. These are the things that lay the foundation for a truly miraculous, amazing life. Absolutely. I wish they had a a course on self-love and a course on boundary boot camp in the final years of high school. Just imagine if we were equipped with that knowledge as we entered out into the next phase of our life. It'd be amazing. Wow. Wow. It would be a different world, you know? So let's talk about now how your day looks. I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? Sure. I get up and I turn the coffee on because it's already made. And then I come back to bed and my husband and I meditate together every morning, which is great. I mean, if we're together, sometimes I'm traveling, so we can't. But I'll always ask him if he did it, if I wasn't there. Um, And then I work out. I mean, obviously, I drink tons of coffee and brush my teeth and wash my face. And then I work out. And this is before I look at my computer, before I I don't go on social media. I do whatever my workout is going to be for that day. I do a lot of Zumba. Today, I did a class called 306090. Yesterday, I did an amazing Zumba class. It was great. I love to dance. It makes me feel amazing. I always get my workout in. And because the weather is beautiful today, I walked 40 blocks because I'm in the city and I can if I'm home. I'm driving because my, my home is in the middle of nowhere. So I got to drive 22 miles to my gym. So I'm, I'm still appreciating the view, but I'm driving home. And then I eat with my husband because he works from home as well. He's an artist. And then my day begins. So people know that I don't, I don't do morning meetings. I don't do morning anything because my mornings are very sacred and it sets me up to be really productive. You can tell I'm in New York as well. Here we go. Okay. How you doing? I hope that person's okay. Um, it, it's a way of calibrating my day, making a conscious choice of how is my day going to go. And listen, of course, if I'm doing television or if, if, if there's, there's things that are happening that I can't always do that. Um, but I really work, even if I'm away, even if I have an early call time at 6 a.m., I will meditate, even if it's only for 10 minutes. Because I know that tapping into that internal stillness and silence is going to make my day right in a way that not tapping into it, I get short tempered. Like I, I, if I don't meditate, I'm, it's, I'm no good. I'm really not. So those, those are the important things to me. And then there's other things I do. There's different spiritual books that I'll read. Sometimes if it's a weekend and I have time, I'll journal. But those are the main things that I do every day. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Now I'd love to hear what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life? I'm so grateful for everything, every moment, I swear. Grateful for my husband's health. We just had a health scare with something with his heart and he's fine. Thank God. Um, I'm grateful for um, um, you know, this this next phase of my career, what's happening right now is so exciting. Lots of media happening very organically 
without me having to do anything, which is the way that I really want it to be. I'm, I'm not opposed to doing something, but it just feels better. Like, oh, everything is rising the way that it should be in the way of visibility. Um, and I'm super grateful that I have, the, I have tons of friends, but I have the same girlfriends that I've had since I was in second grade. And I'm actually doing a girlfriend weekend with them this weekend. And I'm so psyched to just laugh my ass off and eat bad food. <laughs> How beautiful that you've got friends from such a long time ago. That's so beautiful. I've got three little rapid fire questions for you now. In your opinion, what's one thing that we can do for more health in our life today? Just one thing that we can start to do today. Limit the amount of time you're on your device. Yeah. Amen. Love that one. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Uh, part of it is look at where your scarcity thinking is dominating. Look at what your thoughts are. Look at what you say to yourself. Like the, what goes through your mind when you look in your bank account? Like right on, good thing I'm rich or I'm so abundant or, oh my God, I'm so afraid or, oh my God, I'm going to run out of money. Like being mindful of your internal dialogue around scarcity and abundance is step one to changing it. Yeah, love that. And what is one thing we can do for more love in our life? Honestly, love yourself more. Beautiful. And I have one more question for you, Terry. What is one thing that I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today? How can we serve you? I would love you guys to be a part of the masterclasses that I have coming up right now. I believe they're happening right now. These things that I put so much time and energy into. So I'm doing a whole week of them. It's for people in relationships and people who are single. Um, so they're different masterclasses and we'll put all the links. Uh, Melissa will put all the links for you guys. But I would love for you to get turned on to raising your love vibe. And that's what I help people do. That's it. That would be an honor if you would be interested in doing that. And it's free. Mm, beautiful. Yes, we will link to everything in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to mention or anything that you haven't said that you want to say to the tribe? I just really appreciate your time and whatever it is that is your heart's desire. You deserve that. You can have that. You can create that if you're brave and if you're willing to be vulnerable and change and learn and grow and take responsibility for yourself. I promise you, you can do that. And I actually created a self-love meditation for you guys. So Melissa will tell you how to get that too. Thank you so much, Terry. This has been so beautiful. You are such a gorgeous soul. I can feel your love pouring out of your heart. You're a really beautiful person and I love the work that you're doing and how much love and light you're spreading out into the world with all of your programs. They're amazing and I highly recommend everyone go and check them out. But I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I've, I've followed your work for so many years now and you've been such an inspiration to me and I just wanted to say I acknowledge you and I'm so grateful. Well, I want to say thank you for all, saying all of those lovely things. And I really feel the same about your work. I feel like we're very aligned with what we're doing. And I really appreciate you as a sister light worker. So thank you. What really resonated with me in this episode was the whole letting go and being the adult. I'm really going to embody that a lot more. And I got so much out of today's episode, and I really hope you did too. 
And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 81. And you can also check out my other episodes there too. Just a reminder that you can now get your hands on my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And if you want to be the review of the week next week, make sure you leave me a five-star review in iTunes. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.